0: Amen, amen. Church family, it is good. It is good to be gathered with you all virtually this morning. And um, I just want to say welcome to the brook. Joshua, uh, Tito, thank you for leading us as you guys have been so faithfully doing week in and week out. Church family, I know we say this every Sunday, but it's true every Sunday. We miss you so much. We miss you so much. And we cannot wait for the day when we're back in this sanctuary, in this space together and I'm hearing less of an echo in the room. Right now there's a big echo because there are no bodies filling it up. And we look forward to when uh, there is no echo. You know, uh, God has been doing so many beautiful things. I'm going to tell you about it in just a moment. Because I know, I realize that you all don't get to hear the things that, that, uh, that I get to hear, that Pastor Jeremy, that our leadership gets to hear. So I'm excited to share a lot of that with you today. But before we do that, I want to say this. If you're new watching with us this morning... Um, I want you to know, I can't wait to meet you in person, if that's possible, if you're in Chicago, but we do want to get to meet you virtually, so would you please fill out a connections card. Uh, We'll send a link to you right here soon in the chat box. Uh, We'd love for you to click on that and put a prayer request in, put a praise report, or simply just fill it out so we can follow up with you and begin to build that relationship with you all. Uh, we're, We're excited about that. Uh, Church family, please do also put your prayer requests. I'm thankful when we're hearing about things that are on your hearts so that we can best support you and come alongside of you. And I do want to also encourage you to continue giving generously. Uh, There is a link that will be provided to give online. One of the one of the most exciting testimonies, and I'll just tell you this, is that the giving to the brook um, has actually gone up over the last few weeks. And I want you to know that is a point of praise because I'm going to tell you why that's important in a moment. But, but just thank you for your generosity. Please continue to do so because as we see giving trends, it allows us then to have our budget reflect that trend. And with a greater budget, the more opportunities and more things we can do. And we'll tell you about some of those things in a moment. Um, I also want to invite you to join with our real communities through our virtual meetings um, every Wednesday and or Thursday uh, through our Zoom gatherings. Uh, Church fam, like, look, there is no way you're going to survive this season on your own. And even if you're tuning in on Sundays, I'm thankful you're doing that, but man... You need to talk. You need to be in, in fellowship and in community with your brothers and sisters. I was talking to someone this past week, and they were reminding me of that image uh, when you watch those National Geographic shows, and you see um, the lionesses on the hunt trying to get some wildebeest, and they have this pack of wildebeest, and when they're together, this pack is strong, aren't they? They're ferocious. They're, they're tough. But what the lionesses try to do is they try to isolate they try to separate the weakest or separate one of those wildebeests by creating a diversion. And when they're able to isolate them, they can then uh, feast upon them. And that's, that's what isolation does. And so we're in a time culturally where we are forced isolation and the enemy sees us as an opportunity to sneak in and do damage to our souls as he separates you. Our Zoom gatherings for real community reconnect us, Okay. And so, don't get separated, uh, because at that place we're all vulnerable. So, please uh, let us know how we uh, uh, let us know if you're interested. We want to connect with you. Just just uh, fill out that connections card. Tell us I want to be in a real community, and we'll set you up with one of our leaders. All right, I, I need to tell you about the things that God is doing. Uh, I need you to know of all the exciting things that God has been up to. First of all, um, we have had our real communities on crazy mission this past week. If you are in a real community, you've heard some of these stories or if you're on social media. uh, Here's the first thing I want you to know. The different real communities, one of our real communities, um, they have served groceries to undocumented families in our neighborhood. These are families who don't have opportunity. These are families who are struggling in different ways and they've come alongside of them. We've had uh, our real communities give Uh, care packages to essential workers at Steinmetz with handmade face masks. We've had our real communities uh, give uh, care packages to vulnerable migrants in our community, to essential workers like mail carriers are beginning care packages this week. I mean, we have all these things taking place, which gets me thrilled about all that's happening through our real communities. Look, if you're not a part of an RC, you're missing out. Please join in with one. These are the things that would get me really excited. Also, um, as a church, we've been able to give away some $8,000 worth of aid to people in our city and also globally. Let that sink in, $8,000. That's because many of you all have been so generous, so generous to give to our COVID-19 relief fund. Please keep giving. I want you to know, we've given money to Chicago Delivers, which is a, a... an effort to give groceries delivered to households, particularly to those in the black and brown communities on the west and south side of Chicago. That excites us. We've been able to give over $1,000 globally to those in Liberia and in Nepal. We've been able to give groceries to those in our immediate community. Church, like, when we're generous, God uses that generosity. Um, this past week, I was on the phone with our alderman's office, and they donated 250 um, disposable face masks which we are right now even distributing to people as we're serving them in our community like people are making face masks this is this is exciting stuff that God is doing and these are just the beginning of it more is on the way and so I want to thank you all like I said for your generosity to the COVID-19 relief fund and also to our general offering um, let's change this out you just come in and change the battery <laughs> Okay, you're going to lose sound for a second. got to change out the battery here. Give us... There you go. Is that, are we live now? Hopefully you all can hear me now. Thank you, Tito. You're on top of it, man. (laughs) So, all right. Let me let me back up a little bit. I'm grateful for you guys as all all of your generosity to our COVID-19 relief fund is allowing us to bless so many people. And I want to continue to to encourage you to give to that as well as to our general offering. Uh, There are different ways you can give. But I want you to know this. As you guys continue to be generous, it allows us to be creative here. Um, the technology required to put on our live stream is is, is is immense, and we're borrowing equipment from some locations. We need to purchase equipment. We need to upgrade equipment, and so that's going to really allow us to do more, so please continue to do that. And I want you to know something. All right, so a lot of people are wondering, like, man, when are we going to get back to worshiping in person, right? You, you feel that? I feel that tension. I miss you all, and I want you to know that we are watching the news closely we are um, just waiting for us to get approval from our governor and from our state and our city to begin to gather in person. Now, we don't want to do so prematurely. We don't want to put you all in danger. And so right now we're looking for that time when they allow us to get together at least in groups of 50. Okay, And when that happens, we as a leadership are creating a creative plan to allow us to gather in person again for those who want to do that, while also continuing our live stream when that happens. I don't know when that's going to be. We hope and pray that it's sooner than later. But I want you to know that we are already putting things into motion so that when the time comes and we get the green light, we're going to jump all over it and be wise and safe. All right? Okay, last thing. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. All right? And I'm so, so, so excited about the creative thing we got coming to you next week. We have three different women from our church family who are going to be unpacking God's word to share it with you, everyone, our church family, um, in celebration of Mother's Day. It will be a time that will be a blessing, of course, to our women, whether you are mothers or not, whether you are moms or spiritual moms, but it's also going to be a time of, I know, refreshment to all of us men and encouragement as we see our sisters opening God's word and bringing a word of encouragement because God's word is living and active, right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And God's going to use his people, his mouthpieces to deliver his truth. So next Sunday is going to be a special service, even though we're going to be online, but it's going to be sweet. And I hope you guys are excited about that. All right. So with that being said, I want to pray once more. Uh, as we get ready to dig into God's word here in Romans chapter 2. All right, so would you, where you're at, bow your heads and your hearts with me. Uh, Brook kids, would you bow your heads and hearts with me too? We do miss you all, and I hope that you are also encouraged as we open God's word. So let's pray. Father, I do ask, Lord, that you would speak through me as we unpack the scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for speaking through the actions and generosities of our church family. Lord, our, our community is seeing the church do its thing. And Lord, we're just so glad we're just a part of that. And we're so honored to be, uh, to be given the privilege to love people uh, with the gospel and with tangible, uh, tangible provisions. And so Lord, I, I pray that you continue to use us as a church family to do this. God, I also pray that, um, that I, as I opened your word, you would give me the words to speak and give us all the ears to hear what you want us to hear and to receive from you. Lord, we know you have a message for us. So I pray that we'd be obedient in receiving it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church family, as I get into God's word today, I want you to know that there's an important truth that we're going to unpack today, and it's the truth that I've titled my sermon with, and it's this. Stop playing. We've all got problems. All right. What I want you to hear in this passage today is that all of us are as just as messed up as the next person. Now, some of you are saying like, man, I am so aware of that. But I want you to know there are some of us also who are like, you know what? I need to, I need to be reminded of that because there is this sin of the heart. It's an ugly one and it's so subtle and it's slippery, that's called self-righteousness. It is the kind of sin that prevents us from seeing our own failures and makes us quite impressed with our own successes. And I want you to know something today. Um, You can't fool God. You might fool others, but you can't fool God. So stop playing. We've all got problems. And our biggest problem is a sin problem, and the sin is in our hearts, and the problem is our hearts themselves are deceitful. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? And then it says in chapter 17, verse 10, that God actually happens to search our hearts, which means this. We could be very impressed with ourselves while God is not at all impressed with us. We could think that we are all good with God and God's like, you're not good with me. Because we've deceived our hearts and our hearts, we've deceived ourselves to thinking we're cool when we're not. And so to all of us who are battling with that, I need to say, stop playing. So listen, this is something that God has been working in me since I was, I can remember in high school and to this day continues to work with me. And I want you to just, I want to get a little personal with you here. One of my greatest flaws that I know I battle with is this desire to please people. I've shared this with you all before. It's this people-pleasing impulse. And that's actually a really destructive sin to battle with, especially when you're in leadership. Because when you're leading people, you're bound to disappoint. But when you disappoint and you're a people-pleaser, you want to try to make people happy in your worst of moments. But when I search my heart, and I see this people-pleasing tendency, God calls me to see the fruit of people-pleasing and see what's at the root of that struggle. And as I dig deep into my heart, and I have the courage to look at what's ugly, and God gives me the strength to see what I don't want to see, what I see in here is this desire to look good in the eyes of others. That's why we want to be people-pleasers. And to look good in the eyes of others means I want people to look favorably upon myself. There's this kind of hinted of self-righteousness that says, I I want people to see how good I think I really am. This, my family, is an ugly thing. It's a dangerous thing. See, we come to the book of Romans. And last Sunday, I unpacked for us chapter 1, a passage where, where God is like, look, some of us are really jacked up. Some of us have these really overt struggles of rebellion against God. It shows itself in idolatry. It shows itself in sexual brokenness. It shows itself in depraved thinking. And when we look at that, we're like, man, it's a kind of shuddering passage. But when we come to Romans chapter 2, God's like, but on the other side of that spectrum, there are those who look at those and say, man, you all are really messed up. And God's like, but you are just as broken As the next person, it's the kind of thing where you go buying a car and you go to see this vehicle you want to purchase, and you notice man, the exterior is in really good shape. The car is looking good. And if you're like me, I don't know cars very well. So I can be fooled by what's on the outside. But what I happen to do when I've purchased cars before, I bring someone with me who knows a thing or two about vehicles, and the first thing that they do is not look at the exterior, but they pop the hood. They want to see what's beneath the surface. Because if they pop the hood, they see a broken down engine. They're like, hey, don't go for what you see in the naked eye. Look for what's underneath. God is like, look, I'm not impressed by your exterior. You might fool others, but you can't fool me. Stop playing. You're all messed up. And so when we come to this passage, I want us all to have a heart check here. Maybe last Sunday you really related with the brokenness we saw in that passage. Or maybe last Sunday you found yourself getting a little proud of yourself saying, Man, I'm sure not like that person. Those people are really messed up. And God says this in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and following. If you can meet me in the Bible, please do so in your app or where you're at. And would you you please stand to your feet as I read this? For the person who says, man, I'm glad I'm not so messed up as the next person. This is what God's word says in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you. Who judges <laughs> for in passing judgment on another, the people we just talked about, you condemn yourself. Because you, who now make yourself the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, oh man when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Man, oh man, this is God's word. You may be seated. We'll get through the entire chapter before this sermon is done, but I want to bullet point us to this initial opening passage. What God is saying is, I'm not impressed with exteriors. I want to get to your heart. Self-righteousness is dangerous. Let me tell you about self-righteousness. When Jesus talks about it, He says this, he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you got a telescopic log pointing out of your own eye? Jesus is not impressed with those who see other people's flaws and their inability to see their own failures. We see here in the passage, Paul says, you don't have excuse, every one of you who judges in verse 1. When we make ourselves the judge, we place ourselves over those we think we're better than. We pass judgment on another, he says, and in so doing, we condemn ourselves. Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 1, Judge not or else you will be judged. For whatever you judge, whatever you measure, you will be measured. Basically what Jesus is saying and what Paul is telling us here is this. When we look at other people and judge them, Our problem is we're using a standard that we don't want held against us. Because the standard we use against them, God's like, all right, that's the same standard you used against you. And we might say, I'm not doing what they're doing. And the problem Paul says here in verse 1, you practice the very same things. Now, I find this really striking because we might look at the list in chapter 1 and be like, no, I've never done that. I've never worshipped a created thing in my life. I've never bowed my knee to an idol. And Paul's like, look, look, I'm not concerned so much. And God's like, I'm not concerned about the action, but it's the sin that's the same. It's the same sin that reveals itself perhaps in different actions, but the heart under the hood looks the same. God is saying, you condemn them for idolatry because they worship these statues when you yourself are an idol worshiper worshiping yourself. Same sin, different action. Self-righteousness is dangerous and it's slippery, and Jesus actually had no time for it. In fact, his harshest critiques were against those who see themselves as better than others. He calls them hypocrites. He says in Matthew 23, verse 27, Outwardly, you appear beautiful, but within are full of dead bodies. You are a whitewashed tomb. I mean, get that image. Picture a tomb of stone, a stone tomb that on the outside is gleaming bright because it's been bleached and cleaned. But you know if you open a tomb, inside is a dead body rotting away. And Jesus is like, that's what you're like when on the outside you are so self-full of yourself, so happy, so impressed, but inside you're dying. Jesus is like, don't be captivated with yourself and then critical of others don't be so impressed with yourself and unimpressed with others because self-righteousness is dangerous it is deceitful jesus says this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in particular the dangers of self-righteousness are these, as we see in verses 2 and following. Already in verse 1, we saw that we condemn ourselves. But then we see this in verse 2. And notice as I, as I point your attention to how, I'm going to say how wrathy <laughs> this passage is. It says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Look again in verse 3, at the end of it says, the judgment of God. Look at verse 5, where it talks about storing up wrath For yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Look at verse 8, where it talks about that said there will be wrath and fury. What what God is telling us is that those who are overtly rebellious and those who are self-righteously rebellious are in the same place, and it's dangerous because it ultimately leads us into destruction. Paul says in verse 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that is, in your heart condition, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What Paul is saying is, you should not be the amen choir when God's judgment is being preached. Say, yeah, God, get them. Yeah, God, pour out your wrath on them. Because Paul's like, because in the same breath, you are a recipient of it. And the fact is, because you've yet to receive God's wrath, it's because God is patient. He says in verse 4, he is kind. He is forbearing. And God's patience is actually meant to cause you to repent, not for you to become judgmental. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Furthermore, he says, you now are inviting God's judgment. I, like, to me, that is striking because that's what makes, that's what makes self-righteousness so scary. You could think you're so good because externally you seem and appear to have it all together, yet when in reality you are on a one-way ticket to hell. And the problem is you don't even see the need for Jesus because you think you're good. This is a scary place to be apart from Jesus. And this is a scary place to be even as a follower of Jesus because God's like, look, this is not okay. Sometimes we hear people say, you can't judge me, only God judges me. Well, that's actually exactly the point. That's what we don't want. Because here Paul says, God's wrath, he's storing up wrath, verse 5. But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. See, God has a hatred towards sin because sin is a rebellion against him. God is perfect, we are not. And God's like, my wrath will be poured out against sin. I'm a righteous judge, and I can't let, my, let these lawbreakers off the hook. Wrath will be poured out. And so we as humanity... Are under this damning and dangerous place. And this is why we glory in the cross of Jesus. Because Jesus took God's wrath that you and I deserve. So why could we become self righteous when whatever righteousness we have is actually given to us from Jesus? True righteousness. And that's come because we didn't deserve it, but Jesus gave it to us. Family, we can fool others we can't fool God. And if you are not a follower of Jesus today, my prayer is that you would say, God, I'm done with trying to fool you. God, I need you. I need to repent and turn to you. That's ultimately what we're aiming for. This is what God wants to clarify and wants to point us to. But before we talk more about that, I want us to see more of what God has to say here. Furthermore, not only are we inviting God's wrath, and we're not fooling God, but God's also not fooled with whatever fantasy we have about ourselves. And you see, as we see here in verse, in verse uh, 16, on the day of judgment, according to Paul's gospel, the gospel he preaches, God will judge the secrets of our hearts. So like, God's like, I actually know what's deep inside your heart. I know what's under the hood. See, the fantasy genre in movies or in books is this world that's created where magic is real and there's wizardry and there's all kinds of fantasy ideas. And that's actually the world we live in when we're walking in self-righteousness because the world we created is that I'm so good and everyone else is so bad. And it's a fantasy and God's like, I see the secrets of your hearts. Furthermore, God's like, on top of that, don't become not only impressed with your own actions, but don't, don't be impressed with your own heritage, You see, this passage is written to the Jewish person who, who in the ancient Israel, prided themselves in being religious while looking at the pagan world and saying, man, they're really messed up. And basically what God is is saying here is like, I'm not impressed actually either with even the Jewish people who are law-abiding because their law-abiding work is done without faith. Look what God says here in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know, the, know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, that means you have God's law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? What God is saying is like, look, even the most religious people who might know God's word and even obey it if you, I mean, and teach it, if you're not living it out by faith, then you are living in a fantasy world. Paul goes on to say, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. These are heavy words because what it tells us is that God is not impressed by people who've got their lives together. God wants our hearts. And in fact, the next passage there, I won't read it for the sake of time. He talks about this idea of circumcision in the Old Testament. You see, the Jewish people in Genesis 17 were given this sign from God where all their their sons were to be circumcised on the eighth day as a sign of their covenant with God, their relationship with God. Circumcision was meant to be done as an act of faith. It was an outward display of their inward faith. But over time, it simply became an outward ritual devoid of faith. And Paul says here in verse 29, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What what God is telling us here is God has always wanted our hearts. That doesn't mean he wants to go out and live craziness. But what he's saying is this. For the one who's living in outward rebellion, and the one who seems to have it all together, God says, I see beneath the surface, and I see your heart. And what's in the heart is sin, it's rebellion, it's brokenness. And there's nothing we can do on our own efforts. There's no no matter how much we can try to clean up our externals, we cannot get ourselves right with God. And this is where the passage is meant to make us feel a little uncomfortable. Because we could look at one and say, I'm not like that person. We could look at another and say, I'm not like that person. When God's like, but you're like every person separated from me. What are we supposed to do? The whole point of Romans 1 and 2 and even into chapter 3 is to reveal the fact that we just need Jesus. We need his forgiveness like anything. All of us need it as much as the next person. The person whose outward appearance is so broken needs it just as badly as the person who appears to have it all together. So rather than stand in judgment, you should bow your knee in repentance. That's what this passage is telling us we must do. We saw in verse 4 that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, not to become self-inflated. And repentance is like a coin where the other side is faith. They come together. We have faith in Jesus, which means then we repent from our sin. The word repentance means a change of mind. It is going one direction, and when you repent, you turn into another direction. It means we are walking in sin, but when we repent, we turn back and walk towards Jesus. We follow him. That's what God wants for us. To confess our sin, to acknowledge that we are broken even if we think or appear to have it all together. In order to do so, we also need people in our lives to hold us accountable. Yesterday over lunch, we were having fish sticks for lunch and potato chips. And after all the fish sticks were gone, I was just putting down potato chips. It was a little reminiscent of my pork grinds illustration from last week. And as I was eating my potato chips, my son Levi says, "Bobby, you shouldn't continue. You're going to regret that. I was like, are you kidding me, kid? Are you really calling me out on my potato chip eating right now? And it, it, was, it was a good joke. We, we all laughed about it because he remembered my pork grind incident where I was binging on things that wouldn't satisfy. And so what my son was doing is what we are called to do as a church is to let the voice of God and let ourselves toward one another encourage and spur one another on. Toward repentance, toward faith, towards turning away from the things that won't satisfy, but turning to Jesus in faith and repentance. This is what we're called to do. As I was thinking about this passage, I'm reminded how much we as a church have something to say to our world. You might remember, for those of you who are old enough, in 1986 there was a popular commercial that went on for about a decade or so. It was from the hair club for men commercials. And you might remember Cy Sperling, the spokesperson. He would say this statement at the end of his hair club commercial. He would say, I'm not only the hair club president, but I'm also the, say it, client. client. You all remember that if you're old enough. When I hear that, I get a kick out of it because basically what he's saying is like, look, I've got a full head of hair here, but that wasn't all the case. So that makes him a great spokesperson for the product he's selling. When we look at Romans 2... And Romans 1, and we see a broken humanity. We see a rebellious humanity. We see a self-righteous humanity. We see ourselves. We can look at this, and through faith and repentance, through receiving God's forgiveness, we can say, look, I'm not only the, a president, but I'm also the client. I'm not only one who tells people about Jesus, but I'm also a recipient of Jesus. I'm not only one that preaches repentance, but I'm a recipient of a repentance and what God brings to that. I'm not only one who preaches forgiveness, but I'm a recipient of forgiveness. We are both clients and presidents of the gospel message. We're those who've been saved from our rebellion, saved from our self-righteousness, and now as ones who've been saved and are recipients, we now have a message to declare to our world. This is significant in our day and age, church family. Because when God's wrath is poured out on humanity, it is eternal separation from God. Like like we, we forget the realities of hell far too often. The Bible teaches it. Jesus taught it. That hell is eternal conscious punishment. It is described as eternal fire and whether that fire is metaphorical to symbolize eternal eternal torture or it's literal we know the end result is the same it is a place of torment or as jesus says a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth when we read in romans 118 that the wrath of god is poured out on humanity that is the address of our eternal destiny apart from jesus and in our day as we look at a world that is anxious about a coronavirus or about opening up or whether we should open up or shouldn't open up what we see is a world who's anxious about something that's important but not anxious about something that's most important church family what we see is a world that does not see how real their eternal life or death is and this is what the world needs to hear is that we as a church have received forgiveness and that they can too. Church, as we look at our world right now, we were built for this time. I've said it before, but we were made, the church was made for days like these. When people are anxious, when people are overwhelmed, when people are struggling, Because we, as those who've been saved by the gospel, yes, we have our own anxieties and struggles because we live in a real world with broken bodies. But we also carry a message of forgiveness, a message of hope, a message of eternal life. Let me ask you, about whom was Jesus speaking when he says the gates of hell will not prevail? It's the church. About whom does God say that we are ambassadors for Jesus Foreigners on this earth, residents of another place. It's the church. About whom does God say that the Holy Spirit gives gifts of all kinds? It's the church. About whom are, is it the Bible speaking when it says that we are the body and Jesus is the head and we are the hands and feet? It's the church. The church is God's program. The church is the one that God will use to bring this message of forgiveness. You see, the world can fool others. We can't fool God. You can fool others, but you can't fool God. The message that we hear is for all of us to stop playing because we are all messed up. And if you have experienced God's forgiveness through Jesus, you can say, man, I'm not playing. I'm messed up. But I've been saved by God's grace. Church family, I want us to bring this message to our world, bring it to our own hearts, And let's be those who carry the aroma of Jesus to a world that's broken, that needs to know that God offers redemption and forgiveness. So church, let's not be playing. Let's make it clear that we are just as jacked up as the next. And through that message, let the world find out that there is forgiveness through faith and repentance. And let us walk in that same identity. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you that you care most about our hearts. And whether we are self-righteous people pleasers or self-righteous snub arrogant, God, I pray that you would humble us and help us see that we need you more than everything. God, I pray that we would not be so consumed about making the exterior of our car looking good when our engine is all broken down. But that we would say, God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way that's everlasting. God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for the ways that I try to give this persona that I got all together. God, I need you. Father, I lift up that one who right now is just battling with this because they're so afraid of people knowing their struggle. I pray that they would first come to you and say, God, hear my heart. They would feel the freedom of not living for the praises of others, but experience the freedom of walking to please you. Oh, Father, thank you for the gospel message. Thank you that it is as relevant as tomorrow's newspaper and as reliable as tomorrow's sunrise. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many second-chance Christians out there? Third-chance, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth, twelfth, hundredth, man. Praise the Lord, God. Thank you, God. You are so good to us, isn't he, church family? He saves the self-righteous. He saves the overtly rebellious. He is in the business of saving lives, of changing lives from the inside and outside. Man, we are moving forward with his grace. Church family, it's so good to worship with you all this morning. I hope and pray that you are encouraged. I hope and pray that you are blessed. And go ahead and share this link in the future, the weeks to come with others. Um, Let's not allow ourselves to get into that coasting mode, even as as things begin to open up slowly. But let's say, God, I want to remain anchored in you. Just a couple reminders before we close up today. Um, I want to remind you, first of all, uh, to connect with our real communities. God is doing some remarkable things through us. And there are more things on the horizon we'll be sharing about in the weeks to come. Please step on in, step up. We need more people, also with some of the tasks at hand. Uh, Continue to give generously so the work continues to move forward. Uh, Second of all, I want to remind you that next Sunday is Mother's Day, and we have a special service planned for you. We're going to be hearing from three different sisters who are going to be opening God's Word. It's going to be a real treat as we um, hear God speak through them. I know they're already being diligent, so it's going to be a sweet time together. Uh, Church family, it's a real pleasure, and we look forward to continuing our life and living life together. I want to leave you with this blessing from God's word in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. I've shared this with you probably a hundred times, a passage I've quoted probably thousands of times because the passage I need, especially in times when I'm afraid. God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's our God, church family. Hold on to him. God bless you. You all have a great week, and we'll see you all on Wednesday, Thursday, for our Real Communities, and next Sunday. Peace.